everybody, and welcome to the world's favorite youth baseball podcast, Clearing the Bases, featuring Coach Jimmy Phil and Jerry. I'm David Friedman, and I want to thank you for coming along this ride with us. How are we doing today, Coach? We're doing good, Dave. Season is coming to an end. We're into playoffs now. Things are heating up. Teams peaking at the right time. A lot of things going on. We're working with the travel team now. I, I don't get a break. You know that as soon as the high school ends. Matter of fact, this year they're actually overlapping a little bit where we're going to start with the travel while my high school is still going on. So, yeah, busy time. Busy time of year. Yeah, that'll be a little interesting for you to bounce out is what I was thinking of as you were saying the season's wrapping up and like, yeah, for me, for you, it's just another day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we talk about all the time, what do I get Two, two weeks, I think, off during the season, maybe. So, yeah. you know, you got to love it. Otherwise, <laughs> we wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, a, a couple of my friends, my uh, family asking me, am I sad that our season's our season's coming to an end and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a mix of emotions coming in there. You know, I'm, I'm, it's, uh, it's sad. Anytime anything like this comes to an end, I've got a good group of kids. Uh, we had what objectionably objectively has to be considered a successful season. Um, but it is also, I am looking forward to starting to get my weekends back and, uh, you know, my work schedule getting a little more normalized too. Yeah, I, I, I understand completely, but I'm not getting matter of fact, I'm going to lose my weekends. So, yeah, yeah, a little a little bit different situation there. So with your so how are you going to how are you going to balance that out? What do you have about a week or so here where the, the travel and the school are really going to overlap? Yeah. Yep. What I'll do is, you know, I'll deal with what I have to with my high school team. Obviously, I have to be there for you know, whatever comes along, I'll be there for. And then with the travel organization, I think we, we had talked about this before. I have two assistant coaches. One happens to be my son and the other is his, his friend who, you know, from youth baseball, Larry Costello. And they'll, you know, they'll take over the travel team and, and probably have another coach go with them. And Hey, this is, this is how they learn. Yeah, that's it. Throw them, throw them right into the fire. No better, no better way to see how it goes. Um, so on that note, congratulations. I know this is your youngest is now graduated. So you're finally uh, more or less, unless somebody's going on for uh, graduate school or whatnot, you're, you're finally done with your college uh, days. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, you know, I feel like the, the, the weight of the world has been lifted off my shoulders, three kids, 10 years, five schools. It's been a long haul. So I'm glad it's over. And you know what? I'm really proud of him. You know, he, he worked hard, graduated from a good school. Just very, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of all of them, all three of them. Of course. Of course. That's awesome. All right. So let's get into today. We have a very special guest on board with us today. We have Mr. Peter Caliendo of Caliendo Sports International. You can catch up with him on Twitter at Baseball Out. You can catch his website is baseballoutsidethebox.com. And I mean, he's just, we could go on for several minutes here with his accolades. I don't know if you want to throw anything in there specifically, Jimmy. Well, I mean, I, I could tell you this. Uh, my, my first, I, first of all, I've been following Peter for many, many years, listening to his podcast, Baseball Outside the Box. And people out there, if obviously, if you listen to the show, you, you enjoy podcasts. I would definitely look up Peter's podcast and listen to it. He has a lot of good stuff out there. 
I would say, geez, I don't know. It was probably about three, four years ago. I wrote an, a different article for Inside Pitch Magazine. It was about listening to podcasts and how coaches can use these podcasts to uh, further their careers, their coaching careers. There's so much stuff to learn out there. And I mentioned Peter's podcast. And I, I don't know, it was maybe, maybe a few days after the, episode, uh, the, 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 the magazine came out, the issue came out. I get an email from Peter and, you know, I'm saying to myself, wow, here's a guy I've been listening to all these years. He's contacting me to thank me for, you know, mentioning him in my article. So we, we had a little, you know, back and forth. And then I was lucky enough in Chicago that I met Peter in person and we had a nice conversation, about 30 minute conversation. And what, what, what a great guy. So there, there's a lot of good stuff here. We're going we're gonna to talk to him about many. He's, he's involved in me. He's a former USA baseball national coach. Again, I don't want to get it. We'll get into all of his accolades as, as we go through with the episode, but just a wealth of knowledge. And I, I think this is going to benefit our listeners. Yeah, I don't see how it couldn't. Uh, hopefully everybody is tuned in and ready to go. And without further ado, let's welcome aboard Peter Calando. How are you doing today, Peter? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm doing great. Uh, I don't have three kids going to college, so I'm actually I'm doing better than you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> well, that part is done for me, Peter. Thank God he was my my youngest, and uh, it's all over with. And it, it, it's funny I could I could I could eat dinner again. Hopefully, you still got some cash left over too. What's that? Hopefully, you got some cash left over too. Yeah, I think I got maybe seventy five, eighty cents left over. I think. <laughs> All right. So, so Peter, let's, I mean, I, I know that you have, I believe it's like 35 years of coaching experience going around the world, uh, promoting the game of baseball and, and teaching the game of baseball. You want to talk a little bit about that? Jimmy, that was, uh, you know, I've been very lucky in baseball Been in the game, I think around 40 years now internationally. And it all started at a baseball school when I was 15, you know, great mentors along the way. And from there, um, you know, I, I got a chance to be with uh, the, the first Pan Am team, 16U, USA team that competed in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Again, because of my mentor, I was like 22 years old. Everything kind of snowballed, you know, by by staying in the game as long as I could, by trying to treat people well, you know, trying to do the right thing. But really, it was all the mentors I had that really got the doors open for me. And next thing you know, I'm serving on what's called, you know, the World Baseball Softball Confederation, which is the governing body of the sport worldwide. And Paul Seiler, USA Baseball's uh, CEO, had recommended me to them. And I always thank him for that. Uh, I've been with the WBSC for 30 years. I was on uh, Copabe's technical committee. Copabe represents North, Central, South America, and the Caribbean. So, I mean, just think about all that. Plus, I started my own business, um, you know, taking teams around the world. Um, so I've been very lucky to be in over 50 countries and, uh, being able to experience all that and see baseball in different manners, how it's developed. Uh, it's just a great experience. I can't, you know, uh, I thank every day for the opportunity to, you know, do what I'm doing. That's fantastic. So I know that you, you, you way back when, uh, and I'm not, actually, I'm not even sure how long ago it was, but I know that you were a um, national team coach for USA baseball. And that was what age group? Well, it was unique. You know, I'll tell you why, because, and this is for young coaches out there, young people that, and I think it might help some people because, you know, a lot of times nowadays, at least what I see, um, and I'm not going off the subject here, but what I see is, you know, a lot of people wanting things, you know, to happen real fast. 
Well, for me, what happened was the opportunities came up and I took them. Um, I didn't wait for somebody to give it to me. And the way I did it was, uh, long story short, Dick Case was the president of USA Baseball prior to Paul Seiler. And uh, that's when I started. And a guy by the name of Kevin Whitworth was taking teams, a good friend of mine, taking teams around the world, you know, just for competition. But he also had the ability through USA Baseball at that time to play in the Pan Am games at 16, 14, and 12, the official Pan Am games for those ages. Well, Kevin Whitworth and I, you know, I went on the first trip, as I mentioned, to Sao Paulo, Brazil, with my mentor, Dick Birmingham. And then, uh, you know, I said to Kevin, Kevin, you know, I'd be happy to run the 16, 14, and 12-year-old Pan Am program as because it's a pilot program to convince USA Baseball we should have a national team at 16. Dick Case gave us that ability. Well, money had to be raised, you know, players had to be selected, coaches, um, you had to try to do a national selection. We didn't have all the technology. I mean, you're, you know, using faxes and phones. Um, may, again, make another long story short, we were fortunate and we won three golds, three silvers in six years with the 16U. And, you know, you're talking about the Pan Am games where you're playing Cuba, you know, Venezuela, Dominican, I mean, Canada, you're going, you know, you're playing the best in the world. And. Then we had about, in those days, we had about 30 guys make it to the big leagues, not counting who else went to the minors and college baseball. Not because we did anything, but we picked the right people and we had the right coaches nationally help us, scouts and, and all that. So all of a sudden, that's how everything started with USA Baseball, because we proved that. Um, and then when I was an independent ball, I was also picked to be with the professional team, um, again, by Paul Seidler, um, to compete in the Intercontinental Cup in Australia. Um, you know, and so all these things happen. I mean, a lot of things. Next, you know, I'm the the, the uh, regional director for what's called the National Team Identification Process in, in the Great Lakes region. Um, so I was probably with USA Baseball for about 30 years, you know, great organization. And uh, they've done a lot for me. I'm actually very familiar with the NTIS because here in the Northeast, the person that, that I've, I've coached my travel ball for for many years is the, the director for the Northeast. And I'm actually a scout for USA Baseball NTIS. While I'm out doing tournaments, I'm also looking for kids to bring to tryouts for that. So I'm very familiar with it. It's a great program. Absolutely. And I, I started from, from the very first, it was the second one, actually, second year. Um, and I had it for, you know, I was the director for about seven uh, seven years. And, you know, again, uh, what a great concept, right? To identify young players, to be able to go to carry and compete, you know, um, against all these other regionals. Now I know they've, they, at that time we had 12 regions, I believe. Now they're down to what, three or four. I, uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's six. There's, six. You know, three across the Northern tier, three across the Southern tier. I'm pretty sure it is six. Maybe, maybe you're right though. Maybe they did bring it down to four, but I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I was supposed to go to carry in, in August with NTIS during the COVID year. So that got bumped. Then I couldn't make it last year because of work. I'm hoping to get there this year. I mean, that'd be so exciting for me to get down to carry and be involved with coaching those kids. Absolutely. Uh, just a thrill. Great complex, great uh, program and opportunity. You know, and I and I encourage young kids, you know, at a really young age, you know, go to some tryouts like the NTIS because it gives you experience. So people say, well, you got to pay for it. And, well, you know, you don't have to do 100 of these, you know, do one or two. Get that experience of that pressure, right? There's a little bit of pressure because you're trying out for for the national, for the regional team that hopefully maybe you get a chance to make the national team one day. And then, then representing your country, um, obviously, is the greatest thing. I mean, for me, it was the greatest thing that's happened in, in the game because when, you know, when you're another country and you're representing the U.S. and, you, you, you know, you're wearing the colors and 
you've got the national anthem. I mean, the goosebumps are going and um, it's just the best thing that can happen when it when it comes to uh, coaching the game of baseball. Yeah, what I like about it is that the kids that do get involved with this um, NTIS and that's just for, for the people out there that don't understand what NTIS is. It's a national team identification series. So what that is, is they're looking for talent to try and work their way through to get to one of our national teams. But what I like about it is when you send a kid to these regional tryouts, they get to see what the real competition is like. They get to see kids that are all the same ability as they are. So it, it's like you say, it's, it's an eye-opening experience for them to say, hey, you know, this is maybe I need to work on this a little, you know, a little harder or maybe this or that. But um, yeah, it, it's a great experience for these kids. With all your experience internationally, you're talking a lot about like the, the Pan Am area. I also saw that you had coached in Japan for a period of time. I didn't coach in Japan, but I traveled to Japan over 30 times, um, one internationally for the World Baseball Confederation, um, you know, in, in the Olympics, uh, in, the, in uh, the World Cup, the Premier 12. I've been to Japan a lot. And I've gone there for a lot of different training. So I have coached there. I've coached different teams there. But I, it was, you know, in spurts, like one week, it wasn't a particular time where I was there for a month or three months or a year. Right, right. You want to talk a little bit about the difference of what you see between the, the youth, the Japanese players versus American players? <laughs> yeah, and uh, huge difference. And I'll tell you what, I've been criticized a little bit on social media, but who hasn't, right? I mean, yeah. that means you're doing stuff right. Okay. Absolutely, David. You're right about that. I appreciate it. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, because I mentioned Japan a lot and not because they're better than us. You know, we got great players. We got great coaches. We got great programs. I mean, like anything else. But, yeah, they do things a little bit differently. One, they respect the game. Um, I think that's the biggest thing uh, because of what we're seeing nowadays. And I know you want to talk about it with umpires and all that. I don't know if you saw the Chicago series here just yesterday with the Cubs, the Japanese player with the Cubs. You know, when he gets when, when the Japanese get a walk, they don't walk in front of home plate. Um, you know, you're hitting, you know, ball four, they don't go straight forward. They go around the umpire. They go around home plate for respect to the game. Now, that's that's what they do. But there's a lot of things they do. They don't throw equipment. They don't, you know, break things. They they just, you know, they respect the umpires, the field, the the opposing team, the fans. Uh, it just it, you're brought that way in that culture. And here's the ultimate thing about the Japanese, in my opinion, is flat out, you know, everybody, I know we're all trying to figure out how to get better. And I know it's good to get new things and new knowledge and technology. You know, I get it. Um, but what I love about them is that they they keep it pretty simple. What they do is I'll practice, I'll work everybody in the world. Um, if you practice for two hours, they're practicing four. If you take 50 ground balls, they're doing 100. If you're taking backhands, forehands, they're doing the same thing, but taking way more than you are. And we think that they're playing a lot of games. Yeah, they play games, whatever, just like we do, because they had a similar season, but they practice way more times than they than they uh, than they play games. And I think that's why they're so good at it, because they're reactionary. They don't have they already know what they're going to do in situations. They don't wait for something to happen, then think about it. They don't have to tell themselves. You know, a ball's hit to me, you know, left side, I'm going to do this. Right side, I'm doing that. You know, they know already because they've, they've done it a thousand times. Uh, they don't have to think about it. It's reactionary. So uh, on that, I think it's great. Now, do they have faults? Absolutely. Look at the pitch counts. Um, I'll give you a great example. I was at the Premier 12 in Japan, and uh, 
five years prior to that, I met with the Japanese gentleman. One of he's on the board of the Japanese uh, High School Baseball Association, which is the strongest uh, association in Japan, stronger than Major League Baseball. Uh, they have a national championship that is by far better than anybody in the world. It's called Koshian. Well, we were talking about pitch counts, you know, and he wanted to know all these different things that we're doing with pitch counts. So we gave him all the information, right? Five years later, I'm in Japan. I meet him again. And uh, I said, you know, how's it going with the pitch counts? He goes, man, that was great. We're making progress. He goes, uh, you know, now, now high school pitchers are only allowed to pitch 500 pitches a week. You know, and I almost fell off my chair. Um, you know, and, and you know, but you can't because you got to keep your tempo, you got to keep your expression. Yeah. You can't, you don't want to insult them. Um, and I'm like, wow, in my seventh day, 500. Because imagine what it was. I had high school kids that have played for me in Japan. We took a, uh, a semi-pro team into spring training with the White Sox. These young kids, when they were in high school, one kid pitched 435 pitches on a weekend. Um, now. That is something they're trying to work on because it is detrimental to their arms. But, you know, their philosophy is, you know, if a player only lasts 10 years, let's say in the big leagues, they got a lot of them right behind them. Why? Because they do. They have a lot of good players. I mean, they all throw hard. They all can field. They all do things well. So it's not a problem for them. It's just that if we put our players in their training system, Forget it. We, uh, they break down within two weeks uh, because how they train is is a lot harder than us. Um, and I'll give you one example, uh, and I'll let you go on. You know, sit ups. They do 400 sit ups a game uh, day in high school, um, and they and when they do 400, they do 400. It's not 399. It's not 380. It's 400, <laughs> right? So they're awesome, man. That's what I love about them. They just work hard and play the game, and they respect the game. Well, I I, I know that I've seen a, a video online um, and i've seen it in several places i don't know if it was on twitter or youtube wherever it was but they're doing an io um it's a japanese team and i watched this video and i'm trying to follow what they're doing and it's amazing how they have large groups of kids and when i say large i mean you know like three four kids at each position and the way they're moving and how quick they're moving and they're fielding and it's very rhythmic and, you know, I, I just watch it in amazement. I was like, man, if I ever tried that, like you said, I'd have all my players walking off the field. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, that's why I take my teams to Japan, because I want our kids to experience and see what they're doing. You know, we'll play catch with the teams prior to a game and they're throwing the ball and it's right at the chest all the time. Later on, my players are players that, you know, are from the U.S. that just want to have that international experience. They go, I can't believe how well they play catch. They can, our kids are amazed. Watch a half hour of what you talked about. I will have my kids sit there, watch a half hour of 60 kids on the field, one coach, not even two coaches, hitting ground balls. You'll see three balls maybe thrown away the whole half hour. And people are wondering, why can they do that? Why? It, because they do it a lot. I mean, I don't, is it, is it really a, a secret? I mean, if you, if you do it a lot, you're going to get better at it. But if you're sitting at home watching television, you're not going to get any better. You got to spend the time. Baseballs, as you guys know, is a, not an easy sport, and you got to spend time doing it as much as possible. Of course, you got to do it right, also. So they do study it. And I'll give you another one, Jimmy. The, you know, soft toss. Uh, I, you know, you got Japanese players, freshmen, sophomores, maybe forty of them in a, in a gym doing it. They're not tossing from the side. They're tossing from an angle, um, with no screen. You know, and these kids are heading to the screen. I'm like, we do that, we're going to kill somebody. 
You know, so <laughs> it, it's amazing the discipline and the and 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 the work ethics that they have. It's just tremendous. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because, like you said, it's it's. I guess they are doing they're doing things differently, but they're really not doing things any differently than what we could do. But they've been doing it for so long that it just becomes natural to them. Whereas what we see, and Jimmy and I talk about this all the time. Again, we're both uh, JV coaches, so you're talking about. 13 to 15 year olds generally is who we're working with. So, um, you know, they are a little bit, a little bit baked already in terms of their, their baseball DNA and what they're used to doing and and whatnot. So it is hard to uh, reinvent the wheel with them sometimes. And, uh, and, and I would, I would love to, because I think it's something that we've gotten away, like you said, just, just, just warming up with each other. You know, our, our, I can't tell you how many times I hear the ball hitting the fence or I hear, you know, I hear I have to see a kid jogging, jogging out into the outfield after a ball, just in warm up, just 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 playing catch. And it, it my head's ready to explode. And like if you can't do this, you can't do anything else. Like right. you, if you can't from 50 feet away, if you can't hit your partner in the chest 98 percent of the time, then I, I don't know. I don't know why we move on to, to step two, but at five, four now at four, now they're starting and probably earlier because it's been a couple of years, but you know, if they're, they're learning that they don't have to do it. So they don't. Yeah. So that's actually something that I wanted to get Dave, you you brought me right into what I wanted to talk to Peter about, because this, I believe is something that he's very passionate about. I know I am. And I know you are okay. Is about educating coaches. Now, Peter, I've, I've followed you obviously. and, And I know that there are times where I've heard you talk about some type of national certification program for volunteer coaches. Now, I know they're volunteers, but I believe there should be some basic level of competency for volunteer coaches. So stuff like Dave, what, what Dave was just talking about doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. And I'll take it back in history. Um, when we first started, you know, that was something we were working on for a long time. And and what later on, I found out that actually as the governing body of the sport, USA Baseball can't mandate it, which is amazing because it needs to be mandated. The younger groups, you know, because you think about it, we're talking about if I send my 10 year old son to school, that person has to be certified and everything. But yet I can send them to a baseball coach that nowadays, which we're also talking some travel teams, you know, they're all year round. And, and you're telling me this person isn't going to be educated. I'm not sure where that makes any sense. Um, so, but the mandated from the governing body is not easy. Now, Little League and, and Pony Baseball, you know, obviously they tried to do their best. It took a push because they, they should have been leading in this area. I've talked about it for years. And I said, those are the guys and gals that should have said, we're making it mandatory, whether anybody likes it or not, because that is how important it is. And we want to support our parents that are volunteers. They're giving up their time. So let's do something to help them run a better practice, make it more fun. That keeps the kids in the game a lot longer um, when they're a little bit educated in what they're doing, you know, and then, you know, uh, um, I think, I think the development, I think you would have kept kids in the game even longer and seen better players on top of it. So unfortunately, you know, in the U S it started late, but Hey, it's got to start sometime. USA baseball has got a program. It's not, it's just violent. You know, you go on on your own. It's free. You can take, get certified. Um, I believe you get, you don't get certified, but you get a certificate. But go to USA Baseball website and check it out. I encourage everybody to do that. You know, so education is so important because, you know, again, if we're training the kids the right way at the young levels, you know, 
uh, they'll stay in the game longer because everybody says they're going to quit at a certain time. But I don't believe that. The only reason they're going to quit if they don't like what they're doing. Um, if they like baseball, they'll stick it and they'll play it. But if they don't like it, and most of the time, the statistics will show you the reason they don't like it is because of the coaches. That's number one. And the other one, it's just boring. It's a boring sport at times. And then when you don't become successful at it because competition gets better, that you start to fail a little bit more. And now you really want to leave. So, you know, it all comes down and boils down to coaches' education in the U.S. and around the world. That's the way the game will grow. I see everybody like MLB and I praise them and USA Baseball trying to grow the game. But the way, in my opinion, you grow the game is by having successful coaches at the younger levels. The young kids, Jimmy and Dave, right? Not the older. We got, we got coaches at the older levels. We, you know, it's kind of it's interesting. It's kind of like school, right? Um, we, you know, we got the professors at the universities when we need them down at the lower levels also, right? We need really good. We got a lot of great teachers at the low levels, but we need more. That's where it all starts, but that's not where the money's at. So unfortunately, that's not how it works in the U.S. Right. I've, I've said that several times on this show where it's almost, it's almost like it's, it's backwards. And I, I, I mean, I know it's not possible to do it the way that it really should, but you have the highest level coaches. Okay. The guys at the top, and us as lower level guys, I mean, we're high school coaches, but even guys below us, we're trying to get players ready for coaches that are on a, you know, at the, at the top of, of their game that know what they're doing. Meanwhile, you have down at the lower levels, guys that aren't as knowledgeable, aren't as skilled trying, you know, it's almost like backwards They're They're not equipped to be able to, to teach what those guys at the top need. Absolutely. And you know what? Fear early on, you know what happened was fear stops people from doing things. All of us, even myself, I've stopped many times because of fear. And I remember going to leagues when I was young because we set up baseball schools in the Chicagoland area for Mickey Owen Baseball School where I started. And, you know, I set up, we were setting up coaching programs, right? And the, and the presidents in those days would say, well, I can't have a coaching clinic. Nobody's going to come, you know. Oh, I can't make it mandatory. For sure they're not coming. The opposite. You make it mandatory. You're going to lose the ones that you want to lose because those are the ones that think they know it all. And they think, you know, <laughs> but I love the ones that know it all when they show up, because then after a while, they figure out, you know what, I'm not going to tell you, but I really don't know as much as I thought I did. So that's a good thing. Um, and what happened was that leagues in Chicago started to make it mandatory because we kept pushing them. And then coaches came out and I said, well, look, if you lose coaches, now you have a program where you could say to parents, listen, if you haven't coached, we got a coach's program for you. So now you recruit new people, which are not brainwashed. And now you can educate them from scratch in that beauty. And all of a sudden I'm developing my coaches in that league. Every league we saw develop coaches in the right way. We have one here in Chicago, Roselle Little League that did it for 15 years, man. The, the production, the increase in participation got bigger and bigger and bigger when, when that happened. That's fantastic. And I agree with you 100% in that most, for, well, I guess I agree with you 90% that most of the people that are not going to not gonna go and do those things and say, well, if I have to do this thing, then I'm not going to come. Most of it is, is certainly going to be the people that you really shouldn't, I don't want to say you don't care that they don't come back, but it's probably helping out your program if they don't, if they don't come back. Unfortunately, something Jimmy and I talk about on this all the time it is very difficult to get some of these guys to put their ego aside because it's it's all ego. It's 100% ego. You, you can't convince me anything otherwise because 
especially when you look at a program, if you do a program where it's all online, you can't say, oh, well, I was away that weekend or, you know, whatever. If you're doing some kind of a, a live tutorial, then it's different. But when you look at USA Baseball's program, the certification program, you do it, you can do it at your leisure and there's, there shouldn't be any problem with that. Um, the, the, but, and, and it is fear-based because everybody is afraid they're going to scare away too many people. And I know I still talk to, I'm not involved with our local league at this point. My kids are older, but I know I still talk to people that are, and, and they're still hurt. They're still constantly hurting for coaches at the youngest level. And it's something they're, they're, they're so concerned about doing, but like you said, all you got to do is get the right message out that this should help encourage people to jump in. So yeah, you're going to lose a few but you should gain better right? and be a, a net positive by the time all is said and done. Absolutely. And here's the other part that I, we also discussed, and that is, you know what? Sometimes uh, maybe it is good that the kids make their own lineup and play their own game. We just have one adult watching. Let them play the game. Um, if we're short on coaches, let them play the game. We played the game when we were younger that way. That's how you learn, right? By making mistakes, good playing on your own. We know line, You know, kids can make lineups. If you have one adult checking it out, you know, I, I think eventually, I think you're right, David. I think if you do it right and the message is right, it's presented well. Um, parents, look, parents want to do the right thing. They're coaching. They want to help kids. They want to get better. And that's one thing we found, David, when they came to the coaching programs, they loved it. You just had to get them there, right? And I said, wow, this is a great weekend. You know, we just spent three hours, four hours, whatever, doing a, uh, some drills and showing the coaches, making the coaches do some drills, some throwing, fielding, all that kind of stuff, because I think you have to let them do it. So they feel what it what it's like to do it. And that way they can teach it a little bit better. They all loved it. Not just ours, everybody. I mean, if you do the right program, the coaches will enjoy it. And now we got the benefit of what, David? We got the benefit of technology and keep people. We didn't have that back then. Now you can keep people right. informed, as you said, right? Online, um, through emails, through Zoom and all that. So there's a lot more benefits now. Yeah, I, I also think at, at the lower levels, even like with my travel team where I have kids, it's a 14U travel team, and I have kids that range from playing modified to freshman to JV baseball. I think I even have one kid, because of the way baseball is in our area, that is actually a varsity player at 14U. But the, the, the point is that I, when I coach these kids, I start them with the basic rudimentary drills and, and stuff like that for, for, for really young kids. And I, I think that a lot of, a lot of youth coaches or volunteer coaches don't understand that those rudiments are so important at a young age. They're more caught up in trying to win baseball games. They're caught up in more of the flash and the glory of, you know, of a 10 year old baseball game, if there really is any, but I think that they need to understand that you need to teach players how to take a lead off first base. You need to teach players what we spoke about earlier, catch play, how to hit the guy in the chest, how to have both hands ready to make a transfer, to make the throw and drill all of this stuff into them repeatedly, rather than putting a bunch of kids on the field and see who could hit the ball the far furthest, hit them a bunch of ground balls when they, they may be fielding the ground balls, but they may not be fielding them right. And, and, the, and they're not learning skills that they're going to need when guys in high school maybe have, you know, exit velocities that are a lot faster, the ball's coming at you a lot harder. And if you don't have those basic uh, fundamentals down at an early age, you're never going to, you can't start teaching it to them when they're 16, 17 years old. It's too late. Yeah, Jimmy, I'm with you, man. Um, the fundamentals, 
And on top of that, if, if we're educating the volunteer coaches, which by the way, I forgot to mention, it's the largest coaches organization in the world are volunteers. God bless what they do. And, and that's why they're so important because they're big. You can put little, you can put uh, major league baseball coaches, minor league, college, high school coaches together. It still doesn't outnumber volunteers around the world in the game of baseball. So they're critical. And if they're teaching those skills that you're talking about on top of it, if we're teaching them how to run a fun, organized practice that transfers into what you're saying, those fundamentals, now you've got something going because now they're going to be a lot more successful and, and, and what they'll figure out. And I think through the coaching programs, coaches will explain it also. They'll figure out that by sticking with the fundamentals and running a fun, organized practice where kids are active all the time, that wins ball games eventually. Um, if you're focused on those things, you don't have to worry about, and you know, it's funny. Uh, how about kids? You, you ever have to, you think you have to tell a kid, I get a kick out of this. Hey, we got to win today. I don't think there's any kids that go to a ball ball game, you know, ballpark going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose today. They're all trying to win. You don't have to encourage that. Yeah. Well, who, who's not, who's not trying to win, right? Everybody kids kind of, they, they're competitive, right? Everybody's competitive. We need to level down the coaches and being too competitive and, 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 and stressing winning, 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 no stress, fundamentals, fundamentals, teaching, teaching. And I think we got a home run there if we do it that way. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We had a practice today with my travel team and you know, we spent three hours on the field and that three hours felt like maybe 45 minutes. It right. went that fast. I mean, we have guys, you know, I had pitchers in the outfield throwing flat grounds. I had three pitchers on the mound and in an infield doing PFPs. I had guys in the outfield working on fly balls. You know, we had two teams, so there were a lot of kids there. And they just kept moving around and moving around. And the next thing I know, I looked at the time and I'm like, oh, we're done. You know, so the, the, the coaches need to understand that the more organized you are, the more prepared you are. And when you break the, get, the game down into the simplest form, it's fun for the kids. I mean, all of the kids were having a good time. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, Dave knows, knows me better than anyone in this aspect. I can growl a lot at the players. And I will growl at a player when he's not doing something right. But then I pat him on the back and say, hey, I'm just trying to help make you better. That's why I'm, I'm on you. Let's, you know, let's go. So my point is that, yeah, even though I may growl a little bit at him or bark at him a little bit, they, they're, have, they're still having fun. They know that I'm not beating them up because I want to be mean. I'm doing it because there's a purpose to it. Yeah, and when you're straightforward with them, that helps a lot. Eventually, you take your practice. Those, those kids walk out of there going, wow. That was fun. That was quick. That was exciting. I got a lot done. I didn't stand around, you know, uh, and I'll tell you a quick, quick, quick story. I hope I can make it fast. A friend of mine trained the Chicago Blackhawks and my buddy never played uh, in the NHL, never played high school, college hockey. He trained the Blackhawks during the strike because the coaches couldn't do it. Um, and Jonathan, for six weeks, he trained them. Jonathan Pays walked out of there telling him it was one of the funnest practices he's ever been to. Why? <laughs> And, and here's an NHL possible Hall of Famer, I think, you know, here's because it was fun. It was active. It was game like it was movement. You know, there were and like you said, it was exciting. Now, hockey is a little bit more exciting because you're on skates and you're moving all the time. But he had all these drills that he used with young kids in his camps exactly with the big league guys at the NHA level. And they loved it because they're just kids at heart. Also, we're all, we all are. Um, so I'm with you, man. I think uh, we just keep got to. 
you know, pumping the message out, trying to help coaches, you know, coaches like you guys that are working with also youth leagues, right? Educating their coaches. I mean, that's so critical because I know a lot of high school coaches in Illinois do that. And it's so important because that helps you as well, getting players that are prepared for high school. Otherwise you've got to start training them all over again. All right, well, it's, it's, it's funny too. And I don't know, Dave, if you want to expand on that about the coaches clinics and those stories about uh, what Peter just talked about. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've both gone through it. Jimmy, Jimmy and I, we came from the same Cal Ripken league and mm-hmm. trying to work through there and trying to get a lot of these types of ideas through. We were both on the board and both just beating our heads against the wall against, uh, I, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll say the old guard. I mean, these are guys that are four years older than us, you know I mean? But yeah. they were, but they, you know, in some cases a, a little bit more than that, but yeah, just like, well, we've never done that before. Why do we need to do that now? Like, well, because the league is shrinking every year, because we're getting, you know, less accomplished players through the program every year. So uh, things like that. It was it was, it was so difficult. Uh, the story that I, I've told it on here before, I'll try to make it quick. So our, our local high school offered a free coaches clinic to three leagues around here. So the high school coach, and this is really what you want. Hopefully your high school coach knows what they're doing, but where, you know, he's, he's wants to teach. This is how I'm going. This is how I run my program. So if you guys want to run your program this way, it'll help get your kids ready for high school ball. And that's what we should be doing is preparing for the next step. And from the league that Jimmy and I, and actually you may have been out of the league at this point, Jimmy had gotten out of the league a year or two before I did there. Was, so there's three leagues around, let's say there was 40 people in the room. There was, 20 people from one of the leagues, 18 people from one of the leagues, myself and one other guy came from the league that Jimmy and I were in. And we had a huge, we had, we had, I think we had 500 something kids in our league at that point. Wow. And we got myself and one other guy. And listen, I, I, I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I probably, I'm going to say I was one of the better coaches in our league and (laughs) I felt that it was important to go, but that was it. I was so embarrassed when the beginning of the meeting started and the the head coach, the high school coach was, okay, who's from, you know, whatever town and all these hands. And I'm looking around the room, obviously I know, and I know a lot of the guys from the other towns too. And I'm sitting there, I'm just, please don't ask this, please. Okay. Who's from, <laughs> and all the other hands go up and then it's like, okay, Boy, who's God. from East Fishkill. And I'm just like, you know, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was embarrassing. So it, it's it's hard to get again. And I, I think it's all ego. It's just, you know, I, oh, I've been coaching for for six years or eight years or 12 years or whatever. What, what do I need him to tell me anything for? Like, OK, <laughs> you know what? What you're doing is not working, but OK, keep running with it. You know, yeah. David, I, I'm with you because we had that similar thing go on in the early days. And I'm going back 35 years, 30 years. You know, the the interesting part, that's why I'm so so big on mandatory because you're going to take your lumps at the beginning, but it's worth it because of the fact that, look, the simple fact is once you get them there and now they see it, if you got the right coach and you said the key, because you got to have the coach that understands how to work with one or two coaches, limited knowledge, limited equipment, limited practice time, and only practice once or twice a week. If you can teach somebody how to get kids initially get started how to get better a little bit and then encourage the kids and parents to work on some of that stuff at home if they want to get better because if they don't it's not the coach's fault you know you only practice you only had in illinois 
volunteer coaches only have six practices if they're lucky before the season starts. And you guys know six practices, as experts as you are at high school, some of the best teachers, you couldn't get these kids ready in six practices. And we're asking volunteers to do this, which is incredible. That's why I think the other part of this is so important, putting the onus on the players and the parents in that special parent meeting before you start the season and letting them know, listen, I'm a volunteer, but I'm going to do my best I can. I'm here because I love it, and I want to really help these kids out. So are the other coaches. But we can't do this alone. What you, what, you know, what they're doing in practice, playing catch, backyard, just rolling ground balls, don't even worry about it. Let them just do it over and over and over. They'll figure it out sooner or later, and even if you don't know. But you could teach the parents a little bit at that first meeting properly how to play catch. You know, hit some wiffle balls in the backyard. Do something because you can't expect a poor volunteer coach to do that. But I'm going to say this, and I've said it many times, and two volunteers, that's not an excuse because you're a volunteer. I mean, if you're going to volunteer, let's do it right. If you're not, don't do it. We'll find somebody else or we'll let the kids play on their own. I mean, I know I'm being tough on, you know, on the show saying that I, I say it a lot more diplomatically, you know, when we're in meetings. But I think parents understand that, you know, everybody's in it together. We're trying to do the best we can. This needs to be mandatory. Um, otherwise, let's just go ahead. And, and I honestly believe this. Let them play the game on their own. They'll figure it out then. Because what would you rather have bad coaching, coaching kids or no coaches coaching kids? I'd rather have no coaches coaching kids no in the coaches. game because they're going to they're going to do really well on their own. Eventually, again, I said it, they're going to figure it out. But to your point, Peter, also what you just said, and I'm a proponent of the same thing, is that if you volunteer you're volunteering to do a job. That's what you're volunteering to do. You're saying, yep. I'm going to volunteer to coach, which means teach. So you're volunteer. So you have to know, again, they don't have to know what you know, what Dave knows, what I know. They don't have to know that, but they have to know the basic stuff. Again, teach your players to run hard down through first base, the simple things. You're, you're building that foundation. Okay. So again, to your point, you're, you're, you are volunteering to do a job and you have a responsibility to have a certain level of knowledge so that you're helping, that you're not hurting the kids. And like to, to your point, too, like we, we were talking about the, the coaches clinic, you're familiar with the USA Baseball Community Clinics. OK, I'm sure you are with. Yep. All right. So yep. I do the practice planning for our local USA community clinics and we get like seven coaches, five coaches. We don't get a lot. And then even to expand on that, the travel organization that I'm now with, and they'll probably kill me if they listen and they hear this, but I'm sorry, it's the truth and they need to hear it. Okay. I volunteered and I, I went to the, 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 the head guy and they said, listen, I said, we need to take all of our coaches. And that is 15 teams. So you're talking about 30 coaches. And I said, we need to take our coaches and teach them whatever we could teach them that's going to benefit our players. And he was on board. He said, this is great. He said, you know, how do you want to do it? I said, well, just tell them to tell me when their practices are. I'll go. I'll walk them through what they should be doing and help in any way, answer questions. I'll do whatever you want. So he said, this is a great thing. Beautiful. He sends out a broadcast um, email. Hey, coaches, Coach Phil and Jerry said that he'll be willing to help you guys. He wants to come to your practices. I think we should take advantage of this. Da, 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 da. And he, you know, nice, long, beautiful email. Guess how many coaches contacted me? Two. Zero. <laughs> I was high. Wow. Yeah. Not one. So again, you know, I, I can't put my finger on. I don't want to make it sound like that. I'm the savior. I'm the best coach. I'm going to be able to. 
but I can at least teach you how to structure your practice, how to, you know, I can help you in any way. Ask me questions. What do you think you need help with? I can help. And they don't even want the help. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Here, I'll give you a, here, this, this will enlighten you, I think, a little bit and give you some uh, na- international statistics. When, when you look around the world, some of the smaller countries, okay, the U.S. has roughly 350 million people. They got 26 million amateur players in the U.S., okay? So we got great players, but we have great coaches, as I mentioned. Um, you look at Japan, maybe a million and a half. Look at Cuba, 60,000 players. Look at Canada, 40,000 players. Okay, now, I just mentioned, look at Australia, 40,000 players. I just mentioned Australia, Canada, Cuba, um, and Japan, okay? Now, I'm going to take the first three, not Japan. Mandatory government programs, coaches' education at all levels, um, and every one of them is at the top of international baseball with only 40,000 to 60,000 players, okay, competing with USA Baseball at every level. Now, again, when you look at the Olympics, take a look at Australia in the Summer Olympics, top level. Take a look at, you know, uh, like I said, Canada in baseball, top level. Cuba in baseball, top level. The Netherlands, even a small country, great educational program, mandated. They have to do it. Great programs, great players. I mean, look at how many major leaguers these, these countries are producing, um, let alone regular good players. Why? There's that common denominator. Um, you know, they've got, they, they have a, a national certification program, mandatory. Now, if you're going to coach, you're going to go through the program online. It doesn't matter what level, volunteers or not. And even if you're an ex-big leaguer, you're also going to take a test prior and after. You're also going to have somebody come out regionally and think how big Canada is. That people going to come out regionally, watch you practice, evaluate you. Okay, I mean, you're doing all this stuff, you know, and you're a volunteer. Okay, so you know, again, however you people want to do it, if they want to see baseball get better, we're fortunate, Jimmy and David. Okay, 26 million amateur players in the U.S. Okay, I could throw darts out there with 26 million players. I'm going to get some pretty good players, whether you have good coaching or not. These other countries don't have that ability to lose players because they they don't have as many as we do and yet they're competing you know with us i think people need to do the math and take a look at that and say what do we need to be doing at the younger levels yeah yeah there's there's definitely a reason why that's happening so on that note getting back to the the international aspect of what you do peter so um i know that you are right now in the in the middle of putting together trying to put together your team to go down to the dominican uh, what at, at the end of the year you go down, right? Correct. Yeah, I have uh, Caliendo Sports as a business. It's an uh, Caliendo Sports International, and and basically I've, for the last 15, 20 years, been taking teams around the world um, for the cultural experience, for the baseball experience, life experience, you know, with families. And I've I've gone and I've done softball and baseball. I've done other sports too, but I'm I'm focusing when it comes to baseball the four countries, and it's amazing. It's the countries we're talking about, Cuba. Dominican, well, I didn't mention Dominican Republic. There's another great country um, that practices a lot, but Dominican Republic, Japan, and then Italy, because Italy is just a great place to go. And it's where my parents were from, you know, and, and people <laughs> look, when you say Italy, everybody wants to go, right? We got Jimmy's Italian. Sorry, David, but you know, uh, anybody, anybody can go to Italy. You don't have to be Italian. Uh, it's a great country, great people, great food, great everything. Uh, so we want people to have that experience. Um, and, and, and yes, it's a business. It's expensive. It's not cheap. Unfortunately, um, you know, you know, kids have to be able to afford it. Parents have to be able to afford it. In the old days, uh, kids used to raise the money. 
Uh, you don't see them doing that as much anymore. No. Um, you know, parents just write the checks and go. But it is a great experience for if you have that ability. It gives you that chance to feel what it's like maybe to be um, at, on a national team. Um, because, you know, not many kids are going to make the national team at the, in their countries. Of course. Of course. So you want to talk a little bit about how, how do you go to about putting together uh, like my my brain gets scrambled even thinking about trying to organize <laughs> something like this, because it's not even you're, you're not looking regionally like Jimmy was talking about earlier with um, with with uh, USA Baseball. Uh, you're talking about just putting together a a group of I don't know how, how many kids ideally would you do you take with you? What's what's your ideal number? Yeah, and think about it, Dave. It's taken me 15, 20 years just to figure this one out, so don't feel bad. Um, <laughs> you know, anywhere from 12 to 15 players, you know, because obviously we want them to play. Playing time's never a problem because you can play two games if you need to. Um, but we're careful about pitch, you know, pitchers, obviously, especially if it's it's in the summer. And then even in December. December, we have to be very careful when we go at Christmas time. So between 12 to 15 players, and the way we do it, a couple of ways. One, we could take a team, which is harder because now you're asking everybody to be able to go and they, they all can't afford to go on a team. So, but if a coach right. organization wanted to take a team, we could take their team anywhere in the world. But the way we do it is, you know, guys like yourself that I've known for 20, 30 years, let's say, um, that I trust good coaches, high school, college, pro guys, depending. Um, I'll select a couple of them say, you know, and then they'll help with the recruiting process because they work with young players. So when the families know them, they're going to be encouraged to go on the trip if, if they can afford it and maybe even, you know, raise the money. So each coach helps recruit. I'm doing recruitment during that time. And between the three of us, on every, you know, with every team, um, you know, we get those 12 to 15 players. Most important thing in the program is the coaching staff by far. We got to have the better coaches because we're not teaching, you know, we're not changing kids on a trip fundamentally, but we're teaching them the game of baseball, right? We're trying to teach them how to do it right, how to play the game right, how to dress, how to, you know, prepare for the game, whatever it may be, game situations, all that kind of stuff. And we're educating three people at the same time. Um, coaches, which might be ourselves, or coaches that are parent coaches because, you know, parents are on the trip. Players also during the trip. So we take time to educate them in the hotel, on bus rides, you know, we talk about the game in general. So there's a lot of great things. In the meantime, not only do we play every day, uh, we also tour every day. So now they're seeing the country, the culture of it, and we try to practice with the teams while we're there. If we can't practice, we'll uh, we'll do a pregame infield together or we'll play catch together. And that gives us a great experience to, and to meet the other kids from the other countries. Yeah, that that sounds amazing. Uh, I mean, the fact that uh, I just think of it, thinking of a young player in the earlier stages of their development and being able to get involved with something like that just sounds like kind of a, a, a dream. Sounds like a dream. You know, and, and here's the benefit of the whole thing. It's really hard to articulate at times because they haven't been on the trip yet. Um, we have kids that go alone, too, you know, but there's supervision. Not always. There, there's not always a parent that can go. Um, yes, we know the cultural part is going to be good. Um, we know that the coaching is top notch because we, we pick the coaches. That's important. But the life skills that they're getting every day, just by being traveling internationally, being with players they've never been with possibly because the kids are selected all over the country. But I also select kids around the world. A kid around the world wants to join our team. They come. I've had kids from South Africa, Japan, different countries. Um, so the life skills that they're learning just by traveling, um, Man, are they growing up? I've had parents 
uh, email me, call me and say, you know, I can't believe my kid's making his bed. You know, I can't believe he's doing this. I can't believe he's doing that. I mean, he's going the extra mile, right? Because he picked it up somewhere in that country from somebody, some somebody else other than their parents. Uh, so it's a, and it's a great trip if the parents can go along because now they can share that with their kids. Um, and there's nothing like it. I mean, I, I think everybody should do it at least once. And I know it's my business. And I'm going to say that, but I really believe that they should do it once in their lifetime to get that experience sports-wise and cultural-wise. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's a once-in-lifetime experience. There you go. You got my marketing. There's my slogan, once-in-a-lifetime experience. (laughs) Jimmy, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. And you can find, yeah, you can find information on that at uh, baseballoutsidethebox.com. Just as a reminder, we're on on the line today with Peter Caliendo from Caliendo Sports International. He is an author. He's a published author of Youth Baseball Drills. You can find that book on uh, on Amazon. I don't know if you can get it through your website or not, but I know I saw it on Amazon. So baseballoutsidethebox.com. Go out there. There's a ton of information out there. You can see all the background info on Peter and all his qualifications, which is a, a mile long. Um, get and if you are in a position to be fortunate enough where you could possibly have your child get uh, on board with his program, uh, there, there's probably nothing better for them to do as a as a youth sports participant. Yeah. Now, Dave, you just mentioned something about the the book. Or, Peter, you've written several books. Am I am I wrong? No. What I did was uh, writing is not my skill. As uh, my vocabulary is not the best in the world, I do speak Italian and Spanish a little bit, and, and Japanese. <laughs> I think I get confused, you know, with all the languages. Um, but I, no, that's the first book I wrote, and it took a while. And thank goodness there was an editor; uh, otherwise, it would have been a disaster. But I did do um, when it was in the. Remember when we were talking back about the coaching programs many years ago? Um, when I started doing the coaching programs for volunteers, you know, when I got frustrated that you know just like you guys were talking about people weren't getting on board i was trying to get uh associate uh national international associations like pony little league to do dvds you know for volunteer coaches and give them the dvds right because they can do that give it to them because they're volunteers they're helping so let's help them well it didn't happen so i decided to do a series of five dvds and I, they've been very successful sold all over the world in the u.s and yeah i had the charge because i can't give them away if I if I if I had if I had the ability to give them away, I would have gave them away. Um, so I do have a set of series of five DVDs, practice organization, and all the different fundamental skills. Well, and for everybody out there, I think that that's something that you should look up. You know, try and get a hold of those DVDs, get a hold of Peter's book because these are the things that again the volunteer and and the the lower level coaches need to know to be able to help the kids because that's what it's all about. We're trying to help the kids. But Peter, one one thing I wanted to get into too is that. I heard you talk about not not that long ago about training the very youngest of the young players. And what I, what I want to get into a little bit is you had said something about using like a bigger barrel bat, using a bigger ball, using bean bags. You want to you want to elaborate a little bit on, on that, because I think that that stuff is great. Yeah. And, you know, Jimmy, that's what's helped me about traveling around the world, because you, you get to, you know, get to see things that others are doing that possibly make a little bit more sense, you know, cause there's always something better you can figure out, right. To keep the kids more interested, more, and well, a lot more fun and developing. Um, so basically, you know, as I travel the world, you know, we're seeing that, you know, if you want to keep kids busy, you know, as a warm up, throwing up bean bags and you're running, you know, you're working on hand and eye coordination where, you know, running backwards, throwing bean bags, 
um, you know, shuffling sideways, throwing bean bags, trying to catch it one-handed, left-handed, right-handed, throw it up with each hand, you know, the coordination aspect, um, you know, sprinting and run and throwing them up in the air. So many things that we use with bean bags because they're easier to catch. I mean, especially if you're starting kids at four or five years old. I mean, talk about way young, four or five, to try to teach them the skills of baseball, fielding, throwing all that. But here you are, this teaches you how to absorb a little bit when you're catching. Bean bags are easier to catch. They can even toss them back and forth to each other. That's a lot of fun. They can go in circles, you know, and toss bean bags. There's just a lot of things you can do for warm-ups. And then the other aspect is, um, you know, and I'm going to, the WBSC has a program called Baseball Five, and that's where you only have an infield and you bounce a ball and you hit it with your hand. And, and it's a lot more fun and there's more action because kids are touching the ball at times. So I like, I think we should start with something like that and then advance to the next level where you're using a big barrel bat, extremely light, big ball. Coaches are tossing the ball, whether it's underhand, overhand, from a knee, um, and they're hitting it all the time. That's what's amazing. Now, if you're five, six years old, that's what you want to do, right? You want to hit constantly. And, and kids can, these bats are so light. They're not wiffle ball bats. Um, they're actual foam bats. Um, so it, it's, it's hard to explain, but Kanko has them, and I know some other companies have them. And you're hitting all the time, no matter what age. And now you can play a game, you know, with that type of bat. Because, you know, all due respect to T-ball, I get it. I've done T-ball, I've coached T-ball, um, I've coached T-ball kids. It's not that easy. You know, I have college guy. I remember me being in college wasn't easy hitting the ball off a tee. Um, and sometimes it can be boring when there's nine players out there. You know, the, the outfielders are doing nothing. Then you expect them to stay in the game longer? I don't think so. As soon as they go play basketball, hockey, soccer, or something else, they're they're done. Because, you know, it's just not fun. So why not reduce the size of the field, get them a bat that's bigger, get them a ball that's bigger. And guess what? With the ball that's bigger, it's, so, it's like a foam ball. So you can catch it. With, you have to use two hands. Now all of a sudden you're teaching how to catch the ball with two hands. There's a lot of skill development going on. And it's a small field. I guess everybody's, you know, touching once the ball. And here's what's interesting. Remember hockey went to, instead of full rink for young kids, they went to three sideway rinks. When they started that in Canada, people went berserk. Right now, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread because that's typical, right? When you change the game or change, modify it to make it a little bit more fun, people go, Oh, that's not baseball. I remember the Japanese going to a smaller baseball. What a concept, right? You're going to teach throwing, and now you got a smaller baseball when you play catch where you're able to grip it properly and it's not as heavy for a five or six or seven or eight year old. Um, but if you try to do that in the US, you've got to go through all kinds of, you know, meetings and discussions and then. And somebody might sue you. You never know because it's not regular <laughs> baseball. Um, but you know what? At the younger levels, it doesn't have to be regular baseball. You can teach it, smaller field. It's still baseball. And then you you grow the game from there. So that way they, they learn how to play because the game's complicated. They learn to play the infield first. And then you worry about the outfield throws as they get older. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world because, but something you said too reminds me of something that me and Dave have, have spoke spoken about. The, the the phrase that a lot of people use, well, this is real baseball. And right. what I'm <laughs> what, what what I'm getting at is uh quite a few years ago, I was asked to go look at a 10-year-old uh baseball practice, you know, because again, the coach needed help, so I went there and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but they were working on pickoff moves at 10. So I, you know, wow. I said to the coach, I said, why are you wasting your time working on pickoff moves now? He said, well, coach, he said, you know, uh, there's leading and stealing at 10, right? So I said, leading and stealing at 10. 
And wow. you know, I was conf- I was really confused. And his exact words was, yeah, coach, it's real baseball. And I'm like, no, this is a mess. Okay. Because <laughs> any kid that gets on first base, it's an automatic triple because the catcher can't throw them out. You can't pick them off. What are you doing? So anyway, to your point, yes, all of these different things, the smaller ball, the bigger barrel bat, the bigger ball, so that we're learning skills. This is all great, but somehow we have to find a way to sell it to the parents and the coaches to make them understand that this is the way you don't develop by playing games at 10 years old or nine years old. It it, it just doesn't, you know, I mean, you may develop a little bit, but you're not going to develop the way you would if you're doing these rudimentary drills. Yeah. You know, and I think people may disagree with me on this one, um, but if I was running a league of 11 and under 12 and under 10 and under somewhere in that range, um, the, there'll be one rule I want to put in the league fastballs only. And that's it. Now, what do you, you know, we, we know as coaches development wise, what you get out of that, right? You got better mechanics. You got better release point. You got more strikes. You got hopefully, okay. You got more kids hitting the ball. Maybe that's great. You want action, right? We don't want strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Cause there's other kids in the field. Again, they're going to find something else to do. If the ball's not hit to them, if they only get one ball or no balls hit to them the whole game. So I think, having a league like that and it's better for your arm right and then later on we can advance to the change up and you know where i'm going with this so i think yeah by and again it's that education uh, it's where somebody needs to start it somebody needs to see the success behind it and hope that it, it expands because you can't mandate it in the u.s because even the governing body doesn't have that um you know control over all the leagues you know obviously this is a topic we've talked about a million times we're just going to be in agreement um, people are just pushing their kids to start at younger and younger ages. They put that title of real baseball on it. It makes no sense. It looks ridiculous. The kids aren't learning. They're getting more frustrated because they're not learning and they're not doing better. You know, you've got your haves and your haves, not haves and have nots there where, you know, the better, more natural athletes are the ones who the parents do spend more time or money to put them with somebody else to teach them they're going to do better. And then you've got the second half of the kids that are, they're going to get frustrated. They're going to be bored. They're not having fun. And guess what? They're not going to want to sign up again next year. And we see it all the time. And David, you know, I learned something a year ago, which was interesting because I had to think about this. You know why everybody's pushing baseball at the younger levels in us to start them as early as possible. One of the major reasons is because if they don't start them early enough, and I don't agree that you have to start them early, but if you don't start them early enough, you're going to lose them because they're going to another sport at that age. They're going to play soccer. Once they see soccer, they're done. So they're trying to grab them. And I didn't think about that. You know, I never thought about it that way. I always said, hey, let them start when they're ready. And it doesn't matter what age, because you can be good at, you know, if you're playing multiple sports when you're three, four, or five, six, seven years old, you'll get better athletically. And then if you want to play baseball, play baseball. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I, I, we've been dealing with this again. I'm going to go back using um, our league as the example. So my uh, so my kids are, are 21 and 18. So this is going back probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, because in between when my two kids were coming up, um, so live pitching started at nine when my older kid was playing, but it was eight by the time my, my younger kid. So in those three years, it switched to eight. And then they started getting some kids that were seven were allowed to move up and play with the eight year olds. And our T-ball went from starting at six 
to starting at five. And then it got to, oh, well, this league uh, across the way is doing four. So we have to do four because if we don't, they'll go to that league instead of our league. And we're going to lose, like you just said, we're going to lose the kids. That was the argument. And then what, what did we see came out of that? Because baseball is not meant real games and whatnot is not meant for four-year-olds. We did lose those kids, but we lost them when they were six and seven because they weren't having fun. They weren't learning the fundamentals because they were too young to learn the fundamentals with a real hardball at that age. Um, they point. can't catch, they can't catch fly balls at five. They can't, right. uh, you know, yes, you're going to have that one kid. And that's what every time Jimmy and I have this kind of conversation, we'll get somebody on Facebook and listen, we, we love our listeners. We're, we're very, very thankful for everyone. But every time we do something like this, we get somebody emailing us. Oh, my son is playing on a seven U team and he's at this toy and you wouldn't believe the tournaments that are available and all this other stuff. And I'm like, yes, no, I believe it. Cause it's a business and people can make money doing it. So yes, I believe that it exists, but should it, and is it going to lead to long-term growth? No. I, I think we've seen because now it's been eight, you know, again, my son's 18. So, so it was eight, 10 years ago when they were, you know, nine or 10 years ago when they were switching to, to lower those ages down to quote unquote real baseball. And it's not real baseball is not every kid that gets on gets to second. Right. You know, <laughs> and, and 70, 70% of them get to third. That's not real baseball. And, True. you know, so and I'm sure it's not gone back. You know, I think it's one of those things where they feel like they can't put the toothpaste back in the tube because, you know, my brother's kid played my brother who's older than me, his kid played at four. So I want my kid to play at four and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's, it's maddening. And I think we're seeing, we're seeing the little league numbers go down and this is part of the reason why. Yeah, I agree with you. That's those are all excellent points, man, David. Um, you know, the other part of it is too that we encourage multi-sport athletes as you know at young ages, and, and we you know they did studies on this. I mean, I know not everybody's going to go to big leagues, but you know, 90, 90 I think it was ninety-eight percent of players in Major League Baseball were multi-sport athletes. There was only one golfer at the highest level, okay, that was not a multi-sport athlete. The rest of the golfers were all multi-sport athletes at young ages. They didn't start in golf and stay with golf only. So I right. think where everything you're saying is correct. You can start at any time. The, the, the first thing you need to do is just develop athletic skills. I think that's why we do the beanbag, you know, throwing them up and all the different things, because that's all athletic work, right? And it's fun. Kids like to run around. They like to throw things up, catch it. You know, we use it as a warm-up at four or five yep. years old. All right? Well, what I like yeah, about all those – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. No, it's just a, they want to be involved. They don't want to be, they don't want to be standing. They don't want to be standing still in the outfield being yelled at because something caught their attention. A butterfly or a squirrel caught their attention off. And right. that's not fun. <laughs> they need to be moving. Absolutely. Well, what I was going what, to, what I was going to say is, you know, with the beanbag and like you said, the foam bat and all of this stuff, you have to also, and, and Peter, what you said actually <clears throat> made it come to um, come to the forefront was, young kids playing with real baseballs. Okay. There's a fear factor involved there because the ball is hard. Okay. And if you get hit with it, it hurts. So if we're, we're taking these young kids, um, you know, six, seven, you know, five, six, seven, whatever. And you're putting them out there with a hard ball. The first time that kid gets hit with that ball in the wrong spot, you're going to lose them. Okay. So use the foam bats, use the softer balls, use the bean bags. It eliminates that, that fear factor until they're old enough to actually perform the skill correctly with a hard ball. 
Hey, I don't know if you guys remember Gordy Gillespie, um, College St. Francis, Hall of Fame coach. Um, he actually, one of the most, at one time, he was the most wins in collegiate baseball at all levels. Think about that. Um, right. And he coached three, and he coached three different sports. He's here in Illinois. He was passed away. His teams, we used to go down south. You know, they were hitting wiffle balls before games. They didn't even take BP. All his teams hit over 300 um, in, in college baseball. You know, so you, you got college coaches that use those things. You see it on, on with social media nowadays. Great thing. You see Ron Washington with a with a major league player on two knees, bouncing a ball in, rolling it in, working on backhands. You know, those are the things you need to do with young kids to reduce fear factor and you build technique. Because once you got technique, your your ability to eliminate some of that fear is better because you feel good, right? I mean, so you got to build the technique up and you can't do that with a hard baseball. I agree with you 100%. Right. It's all about building confidence. You want the players yep. to be confident. Um, if they're not confident, you're going to lose them. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Again, another great conversation we had today. Uh, today's with Peter Caliendo. He is the owner and director of Caliendo Sports International. Uh, he's the author of Youth ba- Youth Baseball Drills, a book that's been out for a long time. It's It's been a great seller. Um, he has just a, a, an amazing background. You can check him out at baseballoutsidethebox.com baseballoutsidethebox.com uh he is on twitter at baseball out and you can email him directly at caliendo19 at gmail.com uh you can reach out to him directly with questions and inquiries again he is putting together a team uh what age group specifically are you looking for for the dominican it'll be 14 to 15 14 15 and that in that range, we sometimes will take um, you know some sixteen-year-olds uh, also, and they'll be to the Dominican Republic at, at Christmas time. Okay, all right, yeah, take a take a look at that. If uh, your player is of a good caliber, not just a good caliber player, but a good caliber person, because that's what they're mm-hmm. looking for as well. Um, go ahead and check them out and reach out to them, and maybe you can uh, get hooked up with that. Peter, this has been a fantastic uh, conversation. I want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts on uh, behalf of Jimmy and myself. I really appreciate you coming out and spending this. I know everybody's time is valuable. We appreciate you spending this time with us. And, um, you know, if you have any final thoughts. No, I just want to, yeah, you know, in some ways I do just, uh, I just want coaches and players and parents to know that, you know, um, yourself, David, Jimmy, myself, a lot of coaches that have been in the game, a long time, you know, we're still trying to figure this out too, right? We don't have the answers. We're always trying to learn. So I think if everybody just spends a little time every day listening to your podcast or my podcast or other podcasts or going online and figuring, looking at some drills, just try to make yourself better a little bit every day because ultimately that's going to help the young kids that you really care about. Um, and that's, you know, it's going to make your job a lot easier because as a coach, you're going to have a lot more fun when you're organized. You're prepared when you got new things to introduce in the practice and you're learning all the time. So I think I just want to encourage everybody to do that. And I want to thank you guys for having me. It's been great, Jimmy and David. And I look forward to having you guys on my show, Baseball Outside the Box. That would be fantastic, Peter. We'd love to do it, right, Dave? Yeah, I'd love to do some uh, some cross pollination here. I think I think we could uh, <laughs> delve into a, a few other good topics that we didn't get to today. And um <laughs> Aside from that, we'll, um, you know, would love to have you on the on the line again down the road. Maybe uh, once you're starting to get your team put together and we could talk a little bit about the process that you go through with that. And uh, I think that'd be a great idea. Fantastic, guys. um, I look forward to it. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, actually piggyback off of what Peter just said to coaches. Now, I I am a big uh, 
proponent of, of teaching my players that it's, it's their responsibility to get 1% better every day. And the way I break that down is there's 1,440 minutes in every single day. So if you spend 15 minutes a day on your skill sets, whatever it be, hitting off a tee, fielding ground balls, throwing a ball against the wall, get 1% better every day. Okay. The same thing applies to coaches. Okay. I know, you know, what I do and I know what Dave does. We're students of the game. And I know Peter, you are too. We're, we're students of the game and we are trying to make ourselves better every single day. And I think that's really important for coaches to understand that that's the goal is to get 1% better every day. Absolutely. And one of the ways that we can do that, keep in mind, the only two things in life that you can control are your effort and your attitude. Give us 100% effort at all times. Positive mental attitude, PMA, good things will follow. Final thoughts, coach? Yeah, I just want to thank you, Peter, again for coming on. This has been great. We've been in contact with each other off and on for the last three or four years. It's finally great to, you know, finally get you here and have this hour long conversation. It meant a lot to me and I, I really appreciate it. One of the things, too, that I, I forgot to mention about Peter is that, you know, we're, we're members of the ABCA and Peter was actually a recipient of the American Baseball Coaches Association Meritorious Award. Did I say that right, Peter? Correct. Thank you. OK. And I just wanted to make, you know, people that's that's a great accomplishment on your part to be recognized by the ABCA. Not many people get that type of recognition. So I, I wanted to um, just have mention that. But thank you again, Peter. Appreciate you coming on. And Thanks, I just Jimmy. Leave, Thanks, David. Thank you. And I just I just want to leave everybody with always remember people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.